Sampling the best sound in Caribbean radio. This is VOC Radio. Let's talk St. Kitts and Nevis, a talk show and current affairs program focusing on St. Kitts and Nevis, the Caribbean and international news. Every Tuesday at 10 a.m. on Voice of the Caribbean Radio, join host Andre Huey as he delves into topical issues of the day. We'll open the lines so you can call in and be part of the discussion. And he'll feature guests each week to help shed light on the various topics of discussion. Let's talk St. Kitts and Nevis with Andre Huey, Tuesdays at 10 a.m. with rebroadcasts on Wednesdays and Fridays, also at 10 a.m. on Voice of the Caribbean Radio at voiceofthecaribbean.net. Also listen on our Android mobile app and tune in radio. Voice of the Caribbean Radio, reaching the Caribbean and beyond. Welcome to Let's Talk Sinkis Nevis here on Voice of the Caribbean Radio at voiceofthecaribbean.net. Well, if you've been following us on our Facebook page, you'll realize that today we'll be discussing a very important topic here in Sinkis Nevis, the, the topic of no jab, no job. The vaccination policy of some businesses are seeing some persons losing their jobs because they refuse to vaccinate. We'll be speaking with attorney Chesley Hamilton to give us to delve into the details of the legality of this policy and um, what uh, recourse, if any, the workers would have um, as it relates to their workers' rights. Plus, we'll, later on in the show, we'll be sharing an interview with the president of the Chamber of Industry and Commerce on the state of the tourism industry and the reopening of the tourism economy. All that on this edition of Let's Talk and Kiss And as time permits, of course, we will be taking your calls. So we'll take a break and be right back. When we come back, we'll connect with uh, Mr. Chesley Hamilton for the first segment of our show. For all your printing needs at top-notch quality, go to Digital Print Plus, located on Princess Street, Bastyr, St. Kitts. At Digital Print Plus, you get the best in business cards, letterheads, envelopes, wristbands, tent cards, rack cards, flyers, brochures, logo designs, posters, photos, architectural designs, 3D renderings, and so much more. Digital Print Plus gives you the best quality at competitive prices. Contact us at 767-7468 or email digitalprintskn at gmail.com or follow us on Facebook at Digital Print SKN. Digital Print Plus for all your printing needs at the best quality. You're listening to Voice of the Caribbean Radio at voiceofthecaribbean.net. 
Welcome back to Let's Talk Sankis Nevis here on Voice of the Caribbean Radio at voiceofthecaribbean.net. As we promised you, we will be discussing the issue of uh, vaccination and the, the controversy at the moment where some workers are losing their jobs because they have not uh, chosen to vaccinate. We have on the line with us attorney Chesley Hamilton. Uh, Mr. Hamilton, good morning. Th well, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Andrew. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, let's start with the big topic, of course, and, and that is not only here in St. Kitts, but around the Caribbean as well. A lot of people concerned about uh, the security of their jobs, whether or not they take the COVID-19 vaccine. First, let me ask you this. Is mandatory vaccination in this instance, uh, where a workplace uh, makes it their policy that you must have the COVID-19 vaccine, is, that, is there any legal remit for that? Well, Andre, it depends on how you're employed and what your employment contract says. Um, you know, if you're unionized and a part of a collective agreement, it may not be um, something that can be done. If you're employed in the private sector, sometimes it's different from if you're employed in the public sector. Government action is is um, come under different scrutiny in a constitutional democracy than would um, individuals. And when I say individual, an individual person or an individual company, which is a person in law. So um, the it depends on who is uh, making it mandatory and by what means. Mm -hmm. Now, in 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 this situation, though, when it when it comes to, I mean, we've seen, we've heard of stories of some major corporations here would have made a decision. They would have written to their staff ahead of time. They would have told them that they needed to get the vaccine. Workers are saying in in this instance, well, look, it's my body. I I have a right to to choose whether or not to take the vaccine or not. Is is that something that could stand up in court? Well, the, it, it's different. Um, you know, there are religious exemptions. There medical exemptions, but the if, if you're talking about um you know in the corporate world you have to ask certain other questions. It's not a straightforward question. The issue is is the company changing the employment agreement unilaterally and in so doing um enforcing mandatory vaccination on um on its employee unilaterally and um, without negotiations and without agreement. That raised a whole set of questions. I would say that in a case like that, you mentioned in the, in the early stage that they would have talked to their clients, um, the employees ahead of time. Um, speaking to me while I'm employed with you for 10, 15 years and speaking to me about something that you want me to now do. Um, that was not the agreement when I was employed. Mm -hmm. So um, it, will take, it will take some agreement and accommodation for us to come to that decision. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and that is the problem, firing me because I did not take the vaccine because you want to impose it on me. Doesn't doesn't seem like it can carry the day without more. There must be a need for these companies in the private sector to accommodate. They must give me alternatives. They must um, decide whether I'm going to be a frontline worker or not when I'm being giving you service for 10, 15, 20 years. It's just not a matter of you saying, oh, I did not take the vaccine, so you got to go home. No. Mm -hmm. 
you have already forced me to to take my vacation and my leave and all those sort of things. Now you want to say if I don't vaccinate, I have to go home. I don't think that that's a ground to fire me without more. Now, I said that in terms of some of the corporate um, companies, but it might be different for a private hospital or a private um, medical university or something like that, where the, 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 by, the, by the nature of the business, they can, they can reasonably justify their action in a free and democratic society. Um, more often than not, this test is only for government action. But I say that to say because you may hear about a hospital deciding that all of its um, employees, doctors, everybody would have to be vaccinated. And a court may oppose that. So there, there, there is something where your actions, though not... Um, up front, you will find that people are saying, okay, is it rational? Is it reasonable? Is it proportional? Is it, a, is it an overreach? It's when you bring all of those things to be on the question that, that you could answer it. So it's not a straightforward question and an answer. Mm-hmm. And I basically say people who are employed as part of a, uh, and, and part of a bargaining unit as a, as a union is different than those who have employment contract, um, the individual um, and the employer directly. Um, it is a matter of if that employment contract is violated. Mm-hmm. I, I take it also, and you, you mentioned earlier... Yeah, you, you government sp- is in a category all of its own and by itself. You mentioned something there where you, you actually said that, you know, it can't be a cut and dry situation. The employer should at least give some options. To, to staff. Now, one of the options that has been mooted a lot in the private sector, and particularly in the hospitality sector, is workers are given the option of either taking the vaccine or test every two weeks for COVID-19. And that's something we've seen other countries do as well. Is that a rational um, option to give? Or again, yes. can... Yeah. Yes, yes. It, 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 is a, it, it, is a, it is a rational and reasonable um, alternative. Now, the, the difference is some are saying, well, if you don't take the vaccine, then you have to be tested, but you will pay for the test. No. I think that that cost should also be shared. Um, the employer must say, listen to me, I will meet you halfway when you test because you've given me service. Well, um, there might be a number of reasons why I can't be, uh, why I can't take the, uh, the vaccine. And therefore, I alone shouldn't bear that cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so in other words, the, 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 work, the company should meet the worker halfway then in terms of certainly, the cost. Certainly. Um, mm-hmm. Well, you know, again, if you're part of a union, the union may have negotiated that the testing is on you, the employer, um, or the union may, may, may meet that cost as part of um, your, your union dues. But um, to ask the individual to then be meeting the test every two weeks, that, 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 that doesn't seem fair and all right. Mm. Um, let's talk about government workers because, of course, the government is the one that has been, um, you know, rolling out the vaccination program and has been um, promoting the interest and the importance of the vaccine. Um, can they also mandate their workers to be vaccinated, considering that, of course, they, they would have to lead by example in this, in, in this instance? 
And they're going to be different classes of workers, but I am glad that they, the last news item I heard is that um, the, the Prime Minister here says that there won't be any mandatory vaccination for for government employees. Um, I think that's a wise decision. Um, they should encourage it, but uh, I don't think that you should go to make it mandatory. And let me say this, eh? Um, it's good to see that we are dealing with this situation and there are a lot of people talking about mandatory vaccination. Um, Anja, when I went to school, we were vaccinated for a number of things in order to go to school and sometimes to travel. And we take those vaccines those vaccine regularly and, 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 and routine and normal. Um, I could understand some hesitation because of the, this is new. And it's authorized for emergency use as opposed to regular use and so on. And I could see people having some hesitancy that, hey, I don't want to be part of, I don't want to be a guinea pig. I don't want to be a part of, um, you know, the, the gathering of data. Let me see when the science is settled and then I could uh, then take a vaccine uh, in, into my body. So it, 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 there are a number of variables that are at play. And... Um, it is good to have information, but making it mandatory by a government, I am simply saying that it is something where there are categories of workers. Some workers, they might be able to reasonably justify it in a free and democratic society, and some workers, um, they may not be able to. But government action, government action is uh, reviewable, and anything that government does, vis-a-vis um, -vis citizens can be tested in a court um, and ask that they justify it and the, the onus is on the government to justify its action. And again, as I said, it has to be reasonable. It must be proportional. It cannot be a total denial of one's rights and one, um, you know, the invasion of your prop, your your, your your body cavity and so on by the government. The state can just mandate that no matter what it is, no matter the extent of the, 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 the emergency. And uh, you have to remember, too, that um, we're dealing with you no know, constitutional democracies as opposed to um, parliamentary democracies where government could just legislate and regulate and tell you what you have to do or what you must do. These things now are tested against fundamental rights and freedoms, and it's a balancing act, and judges are called upon to, 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 to make what are policy and political decisions in the, um, pronounce on them, pronounce on what is um, policy and... Um, Con and constitutional uh, rights. Uh, yeah. yeah. Policy but and um, uh, governmental actions, which are reviewable. But the, the state of emergency that we are in and also the Public Health Act, do you think these um, tools or these laws they, they, you know, provide room for um, some form of policy that mandates vaccination in some instances? But even, even under the um, Constitution, under Section, um, on the, the Constitution with um, the Chapter 2 being suspended, there are aspects as argued by the AG, that must be reasonably justifiable in a free and democratic society as well. So it is not an absolute. And um, yeah, 
there's some overreach and um, the state of emergency is a whole different animal. A lot of rights are not um, enforced because they are suspended, but still, you still have access to the court. So that's one of the uniqueness, that, not one of the uniqueness, that's a unique thing in, I think, its constitution, which we brought into force because in 1967, when the constitution was suspended, at that time, when there was a state of emergency, uh, those who were locked up had a hard time accessing justice, accessing the courts. So the Sengis Constitution has built into it how you can uh, have a judge review your matter and how you can um, access the court in a timely fashion, even in a state of emergency. So we have, we have, we have, we have a system built into making sure that fundamental rights isn't just suspended, um, you know, um, wantonly and recklessly. Let me ask this regarding the government. Um, you, the, the, it appears as if they've taken a standoffish approach. You know, like in, in some other countries, like in Antigua, for example, we see where the prime minister has made some really strong statements. I mean, some may agree or disagree with him, but he's made some really strong statements about the government's policy as it relates to vaccination. Um, here, on the other hand, the attorney general, when he was asked about mandatory vaccination, basically said, essentially said, you know, we, we leave it up to the private sector to determine their respective policies as it relates to their, their workers. Do you think the government probably should have taken a more, uh, a stronger approach to this and, and a, a definitive policy as to whether or not they are for mandatory vaccination? Uh, I heard Dustin Brown spoke that he's not forcing it on the religious communities, on Rastafarian and so on. And um, there is a movement afoot in some other countries to to make sure that if you're going to a doctor, you have to go to the doctors. Um, I don't think that, that that will stand the test of time. Um, government can tell you which doctor to go to and these kind of things. They may ask that the doctor's uh, report be be evaluated by the doctor, but I don't tell you, don't think they can tell you which doctor to go to in order to, to, to keep on working. And again, these things are being done retroactively and, and unilaterally. Um, I don't think that these things are right, even in a pandemic, even in an emergency, even in all of these things. Fundamental rights and freedom in a, in a constitutional democracy is something that um, we have to live with and get to know. Uh, public law and it's developing and it's a new development in places like this. And I do believe that even though you find places like Canada, the federal government now wants to uh, make it mandatory for federal workers to, to take the vaccine in Canada, you know that that would be challenged and you also know that only is it going to be challenged but the government decided to dissolve parliament and go back to go back to the polls so that they could get a mandate um, in order to try to do this because it's going to be hard doing it without going back to the polls. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the, uh, the challenges in, uh, in emerging democracies. Um, I, I don't think that any government 
could unilaterally impose something that evades the body cavity um, in a free and democratic society. That 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 seems that seems a total violation. It 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 it, it means that um, it means what next? Government could just come and search your house without a warrant. <laughs> um, no, no, no. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. So you you have to understand that there are some things that you must have policy in place for if the government want to. If the government want to um, say that you have to have a vaccine. You have to be vaccinated if you want to work because that's a right. Some of the things you have to understand is that we have differences in our constitution. In Trinidad, there's a right to education. We don't have a right, a fundamental right to education in our, um, in, China, in our constitution. Um, some people have a right to employment. So therefore, full employment is um, a goal of that society. Some countries, they don't have a right to a job or a right to employment. Um, in some countries, um, even though the UN may say it, um, housing is not a, a fundamental right. <laughs> you know, you, um, in other places, uh, they, they will have that listed. So I'm just showing you there are differences in the constitution, what may go in and ego may not go in thinking um, because of the nuances and in, 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 in differences in our constitution uh, in terms of enumerated grounds in the constitution. So I wouldn't speak of what can go in Antigua as opposed to what can go in St. Kitts and Nevis. I will tell you, um, based on the enumerated grounds in St. Kitts, um, what I do believe that the government can and cannot do. Yeah. Before we let you go, uh, Mr. Hamilton, because I know you have to go, um, just two quick things. The healthcare workers, um, we, we, you mentioned earlier that in some instances you may have the court upholding a decision um, uh, uh, in favor of the employer where healthcare workers is concerned because of the fact that we're in a pandemic. Um, again, the government here has given the healthcare workers the option to vaccinate. Um, do you think that healthcare workers should be in a position where they, are, they, they should have the vaccine because they are frontline workers and they deal directly with, with pa- patients who have COVID? Well, but it is twofold. And what, this, what is rational in, in, uh, in, the, in the nature of healthcare workers. Healthcare workers will have to deal with people who have COVID. You know, so if you're dealing with the, the very um, thing, I mean, the nature of your work, sure, they, they, they test in terms of what is rational, what is reasonable for healthcare workers. It's going to be different from what is, what is rational for someone who stocks shelves at, um, at a supermarket or at um, a hardware store or something. That is completely different um, variables and nexus. The proportionality, the nexus, the, 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 um, you know, all of those things can and will be measured based on the fact situation. And I do believe that by virtue of healthcare workers having to deal with the very pandemic and the very virus, by virtue of their job, that brings into question different um, different variables. And that may be found to be rational by the government and reasonable. Mm. 
You see? So so it, it's still a case by case basis. The, the nexus is different. Yeah. And lastly, before you go, uh, let's go back to the workers who would have lost their jobs. Um, what legal recourse do they have? Um, should they form to get bound together and, and do a, a class action suit, or you know, what what reasonable options do they have legally? I do believe they have options. Um, you know, it's hard fighting for um, a client, tell our client base who um, are now unemployed. But in terms of from a legal standpoint, there's good law that can be practiced. They need to find a good civil practitioner and come together and bond, um, uh, you know, bond their resources together so that they can fight this thing. It is not an easy case because some people might be employed for 10 years. Others may be employed for um, 15, 20, 20, 20 odd years. And therefore, different things come into play, different variables come into play. So crystallizing, um, you know, consolidating a case like that, even though it's one employer, it has in itself challenges, but it can be done. There's a lot of resources. It's going to take the court time. Mm-hmm. They, they might just choose one or two as a test case, as opposed to bringing all of them together and maybe having witness statements from all the other people. But, you know, the civil lawyers would know how best to, to approach the court in a, in, a, in a situation like this. And I, I do believe that um, not because the private sector is not government, there is good grounds uh, in terms of what a company must do before it could go to the ultimate and firing a person uh, without cause. And yes, they're going to say, firing you, we could, we could hire and we can fire. We have the right. It's just a matter of what notice you're supposed to get. I know some companies around town were unilaterally changing um, the employment letters um, after people were employed for many years. And um, all of these things are going to come into place and will be tested against what is right, what is fair, what is just, what is equitable in a court of law. It's just a matter of the level of advocacy that you get um, and bring to bear on, on any case. So, you know, I, I I would say to them, there are options. You know, it costs to litigate. It costs to litigate. And therefore, um, they have to be prepared to bring resources to bear on the litigation. This matter, if it's a matter of urgency, they will file the um, urgent um, application and um, the court will do what is necessary to clear its schedule to give them an, an urgent hearing. But they will have to file that. As a matter of urgency, yeah. I, I know I said lastly, but uh, I, this thought just came to my mind. I want to get your thoughts on it quickly. Um, legal persons, uh, we know when the vaccines first came out, there was a lot of concerns people had that if they, if there were any adverse effects, if they could have um, gotten some redress uh, legally or otherwise. That we know the vaccine manufacturers, they, they have made it clear that they are not going to be responsible for anything that should happen. Um, in a case like that, um, what, 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 what options do people have from, from a legal standpoint? I really don't know. That, um, you can't answer questions like this in a vaccine. Who made the to take the, um, to take the vaccine? If you, take, if you are informed and you take the, um, the decision to 
to take the vaccine. Um, shouldn't you be some responsible because some responsibility? Yeah, um, no one will hold you down and put it in your body. You want to say, well, I was compelled because I had to. I had to do for in order to 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 save my job. Mm-hmm. Um, that too does that seems tenuous um, to me because if I just don't want to take the vaccine, you know, um, 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 I could convert to Rastafarianism today and say, as a matter of my religion, I am not taking it. And who says that I'm no longer, I'm, no, I'm not, not now a Rasta? Um, you know, and I'm not saying that it's a matter of convenience. I'm just simply showing you there are options. You could go to your doctor, your doctor will tell you if you have some fears there. Um, your doctor will say, well, here, I, I certify that you are not a good candidate for it. So there are options available to anybody. So then when you make the informed choice to take a vaccine, why do you want to sue me for taking it? Mm, yeah. Well, Mr. Hamilton, again, thank you very much for your time and for, for being on the show today. All right, no problem. Okay, then. All right, that's Mr. Chesley, right. uh, Mr. Chesley Hamilton, right. attorney at law, speaking to us here on Let's Talk Sinkis Nevis on the subject of vaccination and, and whether or not uh, persons can or should lose their jobs because they refuse to take the COVID-19 vaccine. You're listening to Let's Talk Sinkis Nevis here on Voice of the Caribbean Radio at voiceofthecaribbean.net. We're going to take another quick break and we will uh, encourage you to call in. We'll open the lines uh, for a bit. The number to call would be 869-665-7496. That's uh, 665-7496 for those locally and, of course, those who are listening overseas and you want to be part of the discussion, you can do so as well by calling that number on WhatsApp. Of course, we're just using one line today, so once that becomes available, you can make your call. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. You're listening to Let's Talk, St. Kitts and Nevis. Voice of the Caribbean Radio, VOC Radio. Stay locked on. Online radio has never been this great. It's Voice of the Caribbean Radio at voiceofthecaribbean.net. Tune into Voice of the Caribbean Radio for great Caribbean programs, news, entertainment, sports, and current affairs. Wake up each morning and be inspired with One Day at a Time with Kim Huey. Stay abreast with news across the Caribbean and internationally with the Caribbean News Hour and be entertained with shows like Reggaeville, Caribbean Classics, and Jive Music Show. Visit our website, download our Android mobile app, or listen us on TuneIn Radio. There is so much more on Voice of the Caribbean Radio, reaching the Caribbean and beyond. Check website or app for program schedule. It's the new and improved SK Newsline Android mobile app. With the SK Newsline app, you can watch your news reports, the SK Newsline newscast, sports, special features, and so much more. You can also send us a WhatsApp or call us directly. Go in the Google Play Store, search SK Newsline, and download the app today. The SK Newsline mobile app. News on the go. Stay abreast with news on St. Martin with SMN News. Visit www.smn-news.com for up-to-date news, scoops, opinions, and hard-hitting facts. SMN News, we tell it like it is. Visit our website, www.smn-news.com. 
Not able to sit in front of your computer to listen to Voice of the Caribbean Radio? No worries. Download the Voice of the Caribbean Radio mobile app and listen to us on the go. If you have an Android or Apple mobile device, whether it be an iPad, iPhone, Samsung Galaxy, or any other Android smartphone or tablet, you can download the VOC Radio mobile app for your cost and listen to us live and direct. Visit the Google Play Store and search VOC Radio or Voice of the Caribbean Radio and download the app free. On the VOC Radio app, you can also listen to our programs on demand in the website tab. It's free and easy to use. The VOC Radio mobile app for Android and Apple mobile devices. Download it now and listen to us on the go. Voice of the Caribbean Radio, reaching the Caribbean and beyond. Auto Plus Car Wash, located on the Collins Street Gut, Bastyr St. Kitts. Bring your car to Auto Plus Car Wash to remove water stains, wiper marks, get your doors, roof panel cleaned, seat floor mats, buffing, headlights, and engine wash. You get quality service at the best price at Auto Plus Car Wash. They really care for your car. Call 765-5140 or visit them on the College Street Gut, Bastyr St. Kitts. Auto Plus Car Wash, where the service is number one. The voice of the Caribbean radio. Back here on Let's Talks and Kiss TV here on Voice of the Caribbean Radio at voiceofthecaribbean.net. If you missed the first segment, we had our interview with uh, Mr. Uh, Chesley Hamilton, attorney at law, and we spoke at length about the the uh, issue of uh, mandatory vaccination and whether or not uh, persons can lose their jobs or should lose their jobs for not taking the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, for the persons I've been asking, uh, some persons are actually at work and they are not able to listen to the show today. Uh, we will have a rebroadcast of this show. The entire interview with Mr. Hamilton will be available um, on there as well uh, tomorrow at 10 o'clock right here at Voice of the Caribbean Radio. And we'll also have it available on demand later on today on the website, voiceofthecaribbean.net. Uh, while we were doing the interview with Mr. Hamilton, I got a note from a listener who pointed out that, uh, well, uh, it's a flyer, a digital flyer, that there will be, um, uh, let me see what it is. It's a peaceful walk um, on the 20th of August. Uh, stand up for your rights, condition lives matter. Uh, it will be a peaceful walk. Let your voice be heard just as we walk through the streets of Bastille and stand together in the segregation and manipulation. COVID-19 protocols will be adhered to. This is expected to start at 4.30 p.m. on August 20th. Um, and I w w suspect that the this has to do with, well, it doesn't say clearly um, if it has anything to do with the COVID-19 vaccination. But one would imagine that it, is, it, it, it would because of the uh, situation at hand and the current situation um, around not only here in Singapore News but around the Caribbean where we have seen a number of protests action against uh, what persons feel uh, is mandatory vaccination that the the authorities are forcing vaccination on them uh, COVID-19 vaccine um, though of course the, the some of the said governments have said that 
they are not mandating the vaccine. We've heard from the governments of Barbados and Grenada. They've basically said that they're not mandating the vaccines, but we've seen protests in those countries as well. In Antigua and Barbuda, just last week, we saw a protest that was broken up by police. Um, and the police uh, essentially indicated that the persons who organized that protest did not have the right to or did not have permission to have that protest. And so we saw tear gas was involved. The riot squad was called out uh, to quell that protest. Then we've seen in St. Vincent and the Grenadines a couple of weeks ago where the prime minister of St. Vincent and the Grenadines, uh, Ralph Gonzalez, was uh, injured uh, when a projectile was thrown at him during a protest uh, while he was on his way back to parliament to discuss and to have passed the very same subject of discussion, which is the Public Health Act or changes to the Public Health Act, which the protesters felt uh, would mandate vaccination. So um, that was an unfortunate incident, unfortunately for the Prime Minister, um, the, the injury uh, was not life-threatening. He managed to get uh, treatment. He was flown out to Barbados where he got treatment. And we've been getting stories that a number of persons have been arrested in connection with that incident. So we've seen a lot of protest action, a lot of uh, uh, consternation around the Caribbean when it comes to the issue of vaccination. Um, we have another interview to share with you, but I kind of want to get your views for those persons who are listening and you want to uh, chime in on the issue. Um, you can free, you're free to do so. Uh, during the program, the number to call is 665-7496, or you, if you're calling from overseas, it would be 869-665-7496. You can also send us WhatsApp. If you don't really want to call in, you can send us a WhatsApp um, to 765-7254. That's 869-765-7254. You send us a WhatsApp to that number, and we can have it read on the air. At this point, we're going to share with you an interview that uh, was done by our sister <coughs> news agency, SK Newsline. Um, it's an interview that was done just recently as yesterday with the president of the Chamber of Industry and Commerce, uh, Giselle Matthews, and uh, she was addressing a press release that was sent out by the chamber the day before that basically the chamber would have met with the government and would have discussed a number of matters with the government, particularly the reopening of the tourism economy. Um, the chamber is concerned that uh, the government somewhat has backtracked or at least um, sticking to its point where, it, as it pertains uh, that the persons who are coming to our shores from the cruise ships should be fully vaccinated. There is some challenges with that because in Florida, where the ships, most of the ships are coming from, um, they are not mandating their, uh, that, that in fact, they've actually made it uh, a policy that um, the cruise ship passengers boarding cruise ships uh, in Florida, they should not be mandated to be vaccinated or they, you know, they should not have to show their vaccination status in order to board the ship. Now, St. Kitts and Nevis has made it clear uh, from the health authorities and from the government standpoint that persons who are coming to the country should be fully vaccinated, including those on cruise ships. So we're going to share that interview. The interview is done by Glenn Bart, a reporter with SK Newsline. And so we will hear what uh, Ms. Matthews had to say on that issue. We'll share that interview uh, as we round out the show this week. This is Let's Talk St. Kiss Nevis here on Voice of the Caribbean Radio at voiceofthecaribbean.net. We have compromised regards to the testing for COVID-19 for cruise passengers. Uh, just walk us through the, the key recommendations that were made to the government. Well, as we know, the antigen testing has been a, a topic um, and concern in, 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 in medical quarters and, and scientifically also. 
Um, we are not doctors or medical experts or scientists. We are business people. But we also have to recognize that we are at a point in our time where we're 18 months into a pandemic that can span another two years, three years um, from all indications. We also see that monthly, weekly, more variants are coming on stream. And that will continue to do so as long as persons are not vaccinated. The, the um, you know, COVID-19 will be allowed to evolve and change until we decide as a world and as in our own individual communities that our best defense against this deadly virus is vaccination. We also recognize there are persons who cannot take the vaccination, cannot be vaccinated for health purposes, health reasons, or their own personal views. But they also have to recognize that with that comes a consequence to everyone else. And I think we are at the point where those who since February have had the opportunity to vaccinate have done so. The Chamber hopes that with the recent arrival of the Pfizer vaccine, that those who are hesitant against the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine will, having an opportunity to have an option, will have a mindset change uh, and accept that vaccine. And of course, we encourage those children, those parents, to take their children to be vaccinated just as they have been doing all through their life from birth, uh, stipulated by the World Health Organization, so that we can stand together as one and be strong and immunized against this disease, which will come to the schools, whether they come through, uh, again, through flights, airlift, or whether they come to cruise or yachts, or any other means that it arrives here, it will, just as it is in, on other shores. But every time it arrives or we have a, a, a break on, in community spread, we, we can't close. Um, people can't withstand this. Um, there's only so much that that livelihood can take. And I think it's beyond health, physical health. It's now we have to look at the mental health of people. We have to look at the capacity to, to feed themselves and take care of their families who rely on them. And... Um, we have a large sector, thousands of persons who rely on this sector that um, has been developed over many, many years. And we have to realize that that is the hand that we have and we have to get back to work um, in as safe an environment as is possible through vaccinating ensuring that we have the armor we need um, as a community and also recognizing that the antigen test has also evolved over the last 18 months. Um, some reports indicate that the antigen testing has improved by as much as 80% in its reliability. Now, there are many varying trains of thought, many medical reports that you can research where you may get different angles, and we are not in any way questioning any of those, and we as a chamber understand the risk associated with antigen testing, but we also at the same point recognize the, the critical point at which we find ourselves, and that the turnaround for PCR testing in the particular industry like food is really a very difficult tool to, to ask, and a very hard expectation for the cruise sector to be able to deliver upon. Now, many are tested with PCR and antigen, they do use both. But what we're asking is that 
we can accept antigen testing like our neighbors in the other island um, for the for the vaccinated passenger. And because we are vaccinated in that sector, and those who work in that sector have been asked to be vaccinated and are and are vaccinated and cannot work outside of that bubble, and we have a high vaccination rate as a country, we stand quite strong in a strong position and a favorable position to be able to resume the cruise sector in a safe and responsible manner. And you also called upon government uh, to do more in terms of vaccination in the public sector. Yes, of course. Of course. Um, the chamber was called upon the private sector by government many months ago, and we acted quite responsibly um, in our approach to get um, and I said the chamber, I mean all business community members, chamber members and non-members, but we did advocate to our members following our forum with government back um, in the early part of, of the year where we were asked to, you know, get our people people vaccinated um, in, in the private sector. Um, and we did as much responsibly as we could. Each individual company does and acts in their own manner. The Chamber does not um, influence or have any um, control over how individual businesses go about doing that. But every business, um, you know, acted in the best possible light for the safety and security of their, um, of their employees, their colleagues, and their customers, and tried as best as they could to put, to put um, various rules in place or, or requests um, to get their businesses um, protected. Um, and so we ask the same of government. We ask government to take a stronger stance on vaccination requirements within the public sector so that we can achieve the herd immunity or the community immunity, as I wish to call it, um, and protect our country overall um, so that we can, we, can, we can get back to um, some semblance of business in this, in this sector. And finally, you're also calling for government to provide some kind of facilities for um, SMEs. We have been asking, the Chamber has been asking over the last, I would say, close to a year. We have written on, uh, I think, two or three occasions um, requ requesting support um, for SMEs um, who have been affected um, by this pandemic. And who, especially those who are registered, who are registered businesses and pay taxes to government, that they should be allowed some sort of support. We've done, uh, you know, the government has done well in a, in a surplus uh, to the individuals and to keep people, people's families fed, which is critically important. Um, but at the same time, a lot of those small operators, they do not have the funds to get their businesses back up and open and ready for business because whatever reserves they may have had or savings would have been used over the last 18 months simply to function or to live and in some cases and in many cases um they do not have the means to to get the capital required to get their businesses functioning again and that requires staffing payroll getting themselves the necessary um tools they need to reopen and get their businesses started. It could be vehicles that have been sitting on down for a year and a half that require 
certain maintenance issues, replacements, that the capital isn't there. Um, they cannot withstand the rates of 10.5 and 11.5 in interest rates. Those are not sustainable. Um, so we're asking government to look at these, these SMEs and consider some soft loans. Um, we're not asking for handouts. These are loans that will be repaid over time, but also asking for a moratorium on those loans that the businesses can function for, let's say, a year or a year and a half and then start paying. Because there wouldn't be any time to get to get going again. Um, you know, because you can't just open and start, you know, you won't start generating the necessary inflows that's required um, in within a couple of months to, to, to start the, the, you know, your operational expenses. So, so you really do need some time on that. So that's what we're asking for there. And we hope to see that take place because that is the driver. SMEs are the key to uh, key to um, you know your economy. They create employment, jobs, they pay taxes, and what you want to do with SMEs is you want to see them grow eventually, um, in you know as and, and expand. So it's important that we protect those. All right. Okay. All right. That's uh, Mr. Glenn Bart from SK Newsline speaking to uh, Giselle Matthews, who is the uh, president of the Chamber of Industry and Commerce. And that is, of course, in response to the Chamber's press release that was sent out uh, on Sunday evening um, after their meeting with government and the suggestions they're making as to what they, they, sh- they think the government should do to help reopen the economy. And the main thing, of course, is to sort of speed up the testing process using the, antigen, the rapid antigen tests, the reliable ones. Um, of course, it is not as reliable as the PCR test, which is uh, considered the gold standard of testing. Um, and that is something that uh, you know, we continue to to look at and debate. Um, before we close off the show as well, we would have had the opportunity, and as Skin Newsline that is, and we mentioned we, our sister media entity, would have had the opportunity also to speak with uh, former Chief Medical Officer Dr. Patrick Martin on the uh, testing, uh, on, the, on the, the Chamber's suggestion of using the antigen testing. Now, the government has, has not been very enthusiastic about using this because they, they have said since last year when the pandemic broke, that the test, the, the gold standard is the PCR test and they will continue to rely on that. But it takes a while for that test, uh, the results to be available. And as, of course, when you consider the demand for PCR testing as well, uh, it takes even that much longer. It's not practical to actually use that for cruise ship passengers. But Dr. Martin has been a proponent of the antigen testing because he believes that the, the quality of the tests results have improved over the years, over the last year or so. And that uh, in order to get... Uh, um, the, the economy, the tourism economy up and running, uh, that is going to be a very crucial part. So we'll play that report. It was aired on SK Newsline. Again, you join uh, Glenn Bart on that story. Former Chief Medical Officer is in support of using rapid antigen and antibodies testing, not only to restart the cruise industry, but as a wider strategy in the fight against the COVID-19 pandemic. According to former Chief Medical Officer Dr. Patrick Martin, both types of testing must form part of a national strategy in a defensive approach to curb COVID-19 transmission. I think a, a rapid antigen testing and a rapid antibody testing are fundamental parts of a robust national testing strategy for everybody, not just for persons arriving and for persons cruise passengers should, should be part of a universal testing strategy because testing is your first line of defense 
against uh, virus transmission. That's the antigen and PCR testing. And the antibody testing tells you what the level of immunity in your population is. This is excellent information that can be used for sound policy making. In the absence of that, we will get heavy-handed policies and actions. The, the top-performing rapid tests uh, yield results in 30 minutes. Recently, tourism authorities announced the cancellation of several cruise ship visits because of incompatibility in vaccination policies with the National COVID-19 Task Force. Glenn Bart reporting for SK Newsline. Okay, so that gives you an idea of the situation as it relates to testing um, and um, what the government or what is being suggested to the government where that is concerned. And of course, we'll continue to monitor that story. Now, before we end the program today, I want to share a report that I did on SK Newsline about the Delta variant. Uh, the Delta variant, as you know, um, is spreading right around the world. It is, the, it is more transmissible than the original strain of the coronavirus. And um, it is causing some concern, serious concerns in other countries. I know in the United States, that is one of the concerns they have. Um, it actually has been spreading widely as the cases have gone up significantly in the U.S. as a result of the Delta variant. Uh, the Delta variant has not officially been detected here yet in St. Kitts and Nevis. Um, the last report we got from the chief medical officer is that um, some samples have been sent off for genome sequencing. Uh, the testing for that, for the, for the variant, is not done here in St. Kitts and Nevis. That is sent off to the CARFA lab in Trinidad and Tobago. And so we will um, know in a, maybe in a few days' time whether or not the Delta variant is here in St. Kitts and Nevis. I know in some Caribbean countries it's already been detected. It's been detected in Antigua and Barbuda, in St. Lucia, for sure. We've, we've gotten reports to that effect. Let's play this report. Um, I had the chance to speak to um, Dr. Cuthbert Sebastian about concerns of the Delta variant and how concerned we should be about this strain of the virus. With the Delta variant of the coronavirus spreading rapidly across the world, healthcare systems in the affected countries are being overwhelmed. There are concerns the Delta variant could find its way to our shores here in St. Kitts and Nevis, a possibility Tourism Minister Lindsey Grant hinted to last week at a press conference. The Delta variant, as it is right now, is the main reason for the increase in the COVID-19 cases in the United States, in Florida in particular. Just last week, had over 23,000 persons testing positive. I have been advised that this variant has a higher transmission rate and the impact greater on oneself. Despite some 60% of the target population in St. Kitts and Nevis fully vaccinated, there is still much vaccine hesitancy in the country. Some are suggesting there is no need to take the vaccine, even with the threat of the more trans-Delta variant. Best solution, we've been, we've, we went through a whole year, Mr. Huey, without any vaccine. We had 40-something people in the country who had the COVID and recovered. Nobody interviewed these people up to now to find out exactly what happened to them and how, they, how, how did they recover, okay? Most of us, we wear masks, sanitize with hand, and if you're saying eventually it'll go away. Well, okay, then I could continue wearing my mask, I could continue sanitizing my hand. But Dr. Cuthbert Sebastian, vaccination is the best way to protect against the virus, which proves also to be effective against the Delta variant. Over 99% of people um, who are vaccinated 
are doing well, meaning that the vaccine is working based on the statistics and nearly half of the U.S. population is vaccinated. So that tells me that it's working. And yes, we've seen um, some hospitalizations of um, vaccinated individuals, but it's so small compared to the unvaccinated. Um, I have colleagues who are working in the ICU in the U.S. who tell me that they see most of the cases are unvaccinated individuals, um, sadly. By that time, there's not many things that they can do. So it's honestly better to have that, um, take all precaution as possible because you don't want to be in that statistic where you end up really sick with COVID-19 and you're in that situation and we're stuck between a rock and a hard place and we can't do anything for you at that point. Dr. Sebastian painted a grim picture of how serious the Delta variant is. Currently, there's a huge surge in every country that has the Delta variant. Um, you look at the, the Tortola, the BBI, uh, for example, they are having massive problems. Um, the healthcare system is getting overwhelmed um, because of that. And when the healthcare system is overwhelmed with one particular thing, all the other things start to suffer. Um, whether it's like the chronic illnesses, um, for example, some surgeries may not be able to happen, especially if people are sick with um, COVID-19. And you know, the Delta variant is a lot more contagious than the other strains. I believe it's nine times more contagious. And that's because um, it, it mutated from the original strain where it actually latches on to the cell a lot better and it actually reproduces more of itself than the original one. So that's why it's more contagious. The Delta variant is quickly becoming the dominant variant worldwide, including in some countries that had avoided surges earlier in the pandemic. Andre Huey for SKN Newsline. Well, on that note, we end today's edition of Let's Talk St. Kitts and Nevis. Um, your, uh, was your host, Andre Huey. I want to thank uh, Mr. Chesley Hamilton, who was our guest today. He spoke with us for the first half of the show on the situation of uh, vaccination and um, whether or not a person should be fired from their jobs um, and whether or not they, they, they have a legal footing if they don't take the COVID-19 vaccine and yet they would have lost their jobs. We've heard of reports of that happening here in St. Kitsinevis, and some already have lost their jobs as a result of that. And so we wanted to explore that from a legal standpoint. Just to let our listeners know, we've been getting a lot of requests for the show. It will be rebroadcast. It's normally rebroadcast, normally rebroadcast the show on Wednesdays and Fridays at 10 a.m. right here on Voice of the Caribbean Radio. And it will also be available on demand on our website, www.voiceofthecaribbean.net on the VOC On Demand section. Thank you once again for listening to Let's Talk St. Kitts Davis here on Voice of the Caribbean Radio, reaching the Caribbean and beyond. Do have yourself a pleasant rest of your day. We'll be back next week for another edition of the show.
listening to the voice of the Caribbean Radio, your source for news, sports, and entertainment in the Caribbean. This is VOC Radio, voice of the Caribbean Radio, reaching the Caribbean and beyond.